What up, HyperChange? Welcome to HyperChat number 12. Today, we're going to be talking about Tesla and the world of Tesla tubers with Sean Mitchell, who is a great friend of mine and one of my favorite Tesla content creators out there. Uh, Sean, so stoked to have you on. Thanks for joining the podcast. Hey, man. Thanks for having me on. I'm super pumped. And as, as I've mentioned before in previous conversations, this is always just an extension of our, our offline conversations about Tesla and the world of electric vehicles. So thank you. Totally. And Sean, I feel like a little bit selfish because Sean is one of those people that like we talk all the time offline about, you know, analyzing EVs, every single news story that comes out, but really like, you know, you have this YouTube channel I've been following for the past six months or a year. You were like at a couple thousand subscribers. I think I might've even been the first guest on your, on your channel. And now you have like 30,000 subscribers almost, I think on your way to hundreds of thousands. And the reason why is because I think you're bringing like exclusive content, some of the best content in the world about electric vehicles, and you actually travel. Like you just put out the Sandy Monroe interview, which I made two videos of. I was rewatching it today for like the fourth time. Uh, I mean, Sandy Monroe is like one of the leaders in the entire auto world, and you got him to talk for an hour about Tesla on camera, like the unprecedented access. You're giving away to people for free. Um, and that's just one example of the type of content you've been putting out with like Rivian, Bollinger Motors, um, that I think is going to, you know, I see your channel as as something really exciting, going to a really exciting place. And I think everybody in the EV world should know about it. So I'm sort of excited to not only dive into the EV world today, but also kind of hear more behind the scenes about, you know, your strategy as a content creator. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's... Um... I don't think I've shared that with anyone. So this this should be some really interesting insight. And I, to be quite honest, haven't really thought a lot about it myself. So I'll probably be saying some of the things, some of these things for the very first time, but I'm excited to just give my perspective on the why and the how and the what. So when you think about a new piece of content, um, you know, like you got the inspiration, like, like what, you know, why did you want to go to Monroe? Why do you want to go to Bollinger Motors? Like, what's your thought process on like, ooh, this is the next piece of content I want to make. This is the next interview I want to get. You know, it's gotten quite instinctual in terms of the topics that I cover on the channel. Uh, I look back to when I first started, maybe two or two and a half years ago, and it, I, I think I was still trying to figure out what what my path is and, and was, but now I think it's instinctual, but I would say if I were to boil it down to maybe one statement, it's what do, what what am I interested and curious about learning about a particular topic, whether it's Tesla or or just the electric vehicle market in general? Or lately, as as you know, I've been on this sort of battery kick. Like I really want to dive. And in fact, I think it started off with the Maxwell thing back in January. I just really wanted to understand how batteries work, why Tesla's batteries and battery pack are 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 special and unique and why they're so far ahead of competition. And then, and then, you know, you sort of like unfold one layer of a topic and then that makes you think of another thing and then another thing. And then that's sort of what led to the Monroe thing. We went, you know, we did the one day, one day electric vehicle conference that they put on in Detroit back in May. And then I still had a lot of questions after that one day event. And so I reached out to Sandy Monroe, or, or actually his PR team, and and to my surprise, they said yes, I could I could come up. I, I offered to pay my own ticket in in hotel, and and you know, so um, it's uh, it's it's really interesting to see sort of like how after you sort of unfold one layer, it gives you another idea, sparks another thought, and then it's like. What haven't I seen, or what questions do do I have that I don't know yet? And then I go down that road of, well, maybe I should just reach out to these people and ask if I can talk with them. Mm -hmm. And it's such a rabbit hole of like 
this is such a complicated industry and so much is changing. There's really no end to how much you can learn. And I also really commend you for not, because I feel like a lot of creators in the space, even probably myself, are fall victim to this, very Tesla focused. Like I'm, you're either a bull on Tesla or you're a bear on Tesla. That's the entire lens of your EV content. But you come from it more of just the like EV space in general. I know we were just joking about how people say you're like biased because out you're testing the Audi car for a week. But you know what I mean? You're really just yeah. trying to do all the electric vehicles at once. And so, um, and I kind of wanted to switch gears a little bit in, in that in your sort of normal day job, I guess, you're a real estate agent. And through that, you're also uh, the, the president of the Denver Tesla Club, I believe. So mm -hmm. can you talk a little bit about your role in, in Denver and what you do as a real estate agent, how that kind of tied into the EV, EV world? Yeah, it's been this surprising overlap with with the things that I'm doing. You know, the the electric vehicle side started off as a hobby. In fact, I did start off talking exclusively about Tesla. And then when we went to the Rivian event back in November, that was the the spark that I thought, okay, now's the time to start talking about the market as a whole because there are so many creative and, and exciting things going on. But the real estate thing is my day job. It's my bread and butter. It's the thing that pays the bills. Um, you know, contrary to some people's opinions on Twitter, I am not making tons of money from from you know reviewing Audi cars and and and, and non-Tesla vehicles. But um, you know, uh, what I realized when I started going down these these two paths of real estate and electric vehicles is that there is some natural overlap because most people. Uh, who have an electric car probably park their car in a garage if you're buying a house you're shopping for a house understanding what the breaker box is and how much room is in that breaker panel is fundamental to being able to charge your vehicle and you know when you start driving an electric car you either want to buy another one uh, and or want to get solar on your house so that's another fundamental nuance to the the, the home buying process um, that has uh, diving into the electric vehicle space has really benefited me. And, and then, of course, on the selling side, anyone who's got an electric car, who's got solar and home battery storage, and who's sitting down with me to talk about selling their house, I already know. I know at a fundamental level the, 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 the technical aspects, and I understand how to market that property. So I didn't necessarily start off with I'm going to start talking about electric vehicles so that it can benefit my my real estate business. I just said, I really like electric vehicles. I love driving them and I want to understand more. And that has sort of cross-pollinated with my real estate business. And now, I mean, I'm looking at, at, at 2019 in particular, I would say probably 95% of my business has come from someone who owns an electric vehicle or solar or, or similar. Wow. And it's fascinating because in many ways, the biggest hurdle of adoption of electric vehicles is this educational component. There's a new, it's a new system to, you know, propulsion system, essentially, you have to, you're not going to the gas station, you're charging at home. So the questions, it's almost the sweet spot of like the real estate broker selling you your house is like the person who needs to know, like you're almost in that sweet spot of the niche of like, you're the person who needs to educate them about because it's becoming a more and more uh, important piece of the asset of the home is, you know, where's your energy? Where's your battery? Can I get solar? How old is the roof? Um, so I think that's like, and it, I'm like, as an, as a business nerd, I'm like, wow, you are set up in this unbelievable sweet spot of like, where everyone is going to start caring about this. And you're one of the people who knows about it. So it's just kind of like, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's gonna have a long, great runway. Uh 
Absolutely. I, I, I was on a, a real estate podcast a couple of months ago talking about this, this very thing. And, you know, if you're a real estate agent listening to this podcast today, and you don't understand how those things work, you need to because that will just be a normal function of the house. You know, people's vehicles will more than likely be electric vehicles in five to 10 years. And if you don't understand how they work and why it's important to have enough room in the breaker box to be able to power your car, you could potentially lose out on business and you could potentially cost your seller a lot of money if you don't understand the value of all of these components. I mean, you know, for me in my house, it cost me about $800 to run the electrical line from the breaker box to the garage to, to have that plug. For someone who's invested into solar, $20,000, dollars $40,000, if you don't understand how to market that and the value of that solar, you could be costing your, your seller client a lot of money. They could be losing out on a lot of money. So to, to, to sort of bring it back to your original point, we're sort of on the crest, right? It's it's rising. We're starting to see more of this. There's more. In, in fact, I I just uh, I did an interview on my channel with a real estate client of mine who's a Tesla owner who got Tesla Solar. Uh, just just sort of understanding the process and diving into that. So so uh, if you don't understand how that stuff functions, you could potentially be irrelevant in five to ten years as a real estate agent. Wow. And what, have you noticed? since your career has started, um, a change in the amount of people who are curious about EVs and solar panels, like just generally as a whole, are, you know, are, is a much larger percentage of buyers interested in that today? No, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't, the, the average, the average buyer or seller, probably not. Um, I still think we're, we're at, at the, the beginning stages of this massive transition. So, you know, a lot of, most of my clients right now are, you know, are coming from either my involvement with the Denver Tesla Club, or in fact, I, I just had a client last week um, who lives here in Denver reach out to me because he watches my YouTube channel. Shout out to Tyler if you're watching or listening to this. Um, he reached out because he watches my YouTube channel. He's in Denver. He was thinking about buying a house, and it was just a phenomenal experience. So um, he wants an electric car, but I think really, you know, the price point for electric vehicles in many ways still needs to continue to come down. And I think it's at a great price point right now with, you know, that thirty-five dollars to $40,000. Uh, but uh, as, as some of these um, electric vehicles uh, resell, you know, second time around or third time around, as well as the new purchase price gets closer to 30000 hopefully under that, we'll start to see more mass adoption. And maybe the, the, the pickup truck as well. The pickup trucks and SUVs is a, is a big part of, of, that, um, uh, of that transition for people here in Denver and Colorado. Definitely. So yeah, let's jump into Tesla because I'm sure people uh, watching and listening are you know antsy to hear more about that, uh, especially your Sandy Monroe interview, because um, that's kind of what I want to dive into because there was so much amazing information there. And uh, you know, just for a little background, like how would you describe Sandy Monroe and like He's a good old boy. He he is a good old Midwestern boy, very approachable, very friendly. Like he's not off-putting one bit. I mean, we sat down, you know, he's the CEO of a, of a pretty important company that's, that's uh, analyzing and providing consulting for the largest companies around the globe, not only in automotive, but in aerospace, defense, technology, software. So he's, he's a, pretty big, big freaking deal. Um, and, and you would never know, like if you didn't read his, his rap sheet, um, you know, his, his experience, 
you, you would never know that he's doing some of the things that he's doing. So he knows a lot about a lot. Um, super like, nice why guy. Why should people who are analyzing Tesla give a shit what he thinks? I, I see a lot of people criticizing um, his his approach, saying that it's old school, that it's that it's not new school Tesla. Um, but I think that they're making a big mistake by discounting him and, and discrediting him. He's had over 30 or 40 years of experience in engineering. He's an engineer, so he understands at a very fundamental level how things work. And that's just th that, like that's their thing. They. They, I mean, some of the, some companies actually hire them to design things like airplanes and rockets and you know cr crazy military type stuff. So um, I I think it's foolish to discount the expertise and knowledge that Sandy and and his team have just in general. But when it comes to electric vehicles, they have now torn down at least four electric vehicles that I know of, and maybe maybe more that they haven't mentioned. So. They've got a pretty good understanding about about how they work. Yeah, and not even electric vehicles. Like I, that, I was kind of playing devil's advocate to make a, a joke about like the, the like they're in the business of tearing down every single car, the most important car. They tear it down. They sell that information to every other car company. So they're seeing the under the hood of how it's built, of how much it costs, of how that's changing over the years for every single automaker. I mean they almost have better insight into the entire auto industry than any single automaker because they're like the sort of Switzerland working with all of them. I mean, this is, I don't think people understand how much they should be paying attention to what Sandy Monroe says because every like even little hint of this and that is such an interesting clue into the minds of the executives of all these other car companies. You know, why didn't they fully invest into EVs? Why didn't, why did they buy this battery that's off the shelf? You know, he's kind of got some key insight. And so we got a little off, off topic, but the point is you just did this amazing one hour interview with him um, where you guys break down everything. And I sort of wanted to go piece by piece here. So the first thing that you ask is you ask Monroe, what are traditional automakers doing well with electric vehicles? And they laugh. They both laugh. And Sandy's <laughs> like, oh, like, Mark, can you take that one? Um, and so I feel like I kind of know what they were going at there. But what is what does that tell you? Just that, you know what I mean? I feel like that is was such an interesting little insight. Yeah, I, I, and I wasn't sure, I, I do remember that moment, I wasn't sure if he was trying to sort of protect his relationships with some of these traditional automakers by kicking the question over to Mark, or if it was, if it was, uh, you know, he really doesn't think fondly of, of their approach on electric vehicles, and um, he, he didn't want to go overboard. But, you know, there's, I left that conversation thinking that there's, there's two pieces to making an electric vehicle. Number one, there's the manufacturing process. Number two, there's the uh, electric drivetrain and, and the, the hardware technology. And traditional automotive OEMs appear to be making, it, it appears it's very effortless to do the manufacturing piece, right? It's very efficient, it's very cost effective, but on the other hand, where they're failing is this software, hardware, battery tech, electric motor piece. And you see that in every single vehicle, almost every single vehicle that's on the market right now. Um, you know, th this came up as a conversation, as a particular question in this interview, which is why other automakers have not exceeded the 2012 Model S 265 mile range yet. And, and, and so I think that there is this secret sauce that Tesla has that, that other automakers haven't figured out. On the other hand, 
Tesla still is showing its immaturity as an automotive company with its build quality, with its manufacturing process. And th th this is a whole other soapbox that we'll probably get into. But I see a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of pro-Tesla supporters say, well, it's, it's because they're making the car extra safe. They're over-engineering it because they want to make it safe. But that's not what... I guys who said that. <laughs> right. I mean, it's, it's really interesting. Something. And I... And, and yeah, and, and I, you know, and I had a little bit of skepticism about that as well, coming into that, that one day battery conference or, or electric vehicle conference uh, at Monroe and Associates. But the more that I talk with Sandy and his team, the more that, I, especially after this last visit, the more that I believe that Tesla is just, just showing its immaturity as an automotive manufacturing company and doing things that aren't necessary and therefore reducing the profit margin that they have on their vehicles. They could, you know, there's a shot in that interview where, where I record the, the wheel well of the, the back right fender of the Model 3. And, and it's got like 12 different parts where a normal manufacturer would have just one single part. Mm -hmm. So, so, you know, if you think about from a financial perspective, since, since you've got a really great audience on the financial side, this means that, that they're taking more time to, to, to manufacture one piece than a traditional traditional automotive company, and therefore it's taking longer. It's costing more money, which eats into their profits. Definitely, and I guess to push back on that, I think there's a lot to unpack here because this is what uh, moving forward to the interview. It's a great segue. Uh, what uh, car was he most excited to break down going forward? He almost like cut you off, saying he was like Model Y because the first thing I want to see is the body in white. Have they improved that manufacturing thing that we're talking about? Have they gotten better at the easy stuff that everyone's already good at? You know, that's the first thing that he, he's thinking about. And to build on that, I guess, you know, my sort of problem, I'm, you know, I take the other side of this than you do. My sort of problem with the way Monroe thinks about it is it's like, okay, that's what the Model 3 was in the beginning. Like you have to assume how is this changing? You know, where, wh what is Tesla focused on? What do they care about and why? And where is this going to go into the future? And so I think one thing I love Monroe and a huge shout out to them, you know, we went to the conference, but I think th their biggest Achilles heel is they take things apart and they're looking at a car that was built a year ago and their ability to be like, what's Tesla going to do next? I never got that. Like I tried to press Mark Ellis on what is the dry battery electrode? What would happen? What would the battery pack look like if they do this to the cells? And he just, I don't know. I haven't thought about what the next pack Tesla will build. And I'm like, how do you not, how are you not thinking about what they're going to do next? And so I think that's a microcosm of just Detroit in general, where the pace of innovation was much slower. And so I think Tesla's pace of innovation is huge. So you just mentioned like 12 parts to build this one Model 3 piece. So on the Ride the Lightning podcast with Brian McCaffrey, Elon Musk details how he, they're turning 70 pieces into one with this new stamping press sort of machine. So I think Tesla's working on all of this and their resources are limited and they haven't had as much time to focus on the easy stuff and they've been focusing on the hard stuff. And I would argue that them focusing on the hard stuff has actually paid off. Yes, they're not perfect. Yes, things are wrong. But is the Model 3 crushing other, every other EV? Does it have longer range? Is it outselling its ICE competition? Yes, that's what they cared about. That's what it's doing. Now they're going to go back and get better at the stuff they weren't as good at. So um, I think there's a lot of, it actually makes me happy that I'm like, okay, I know Tesla's not going to be perfect. I know they're going to suck at some stuff. When I hear Sandy Monroe say, okay, Tesla sucks at the stuff Detroit is really good at and he's laughing, I'm like, I'm laughing because that's going to be really easy for Tesla to improve on. The chance of Tesla catching up to Detroit and making the body in white versus the chance of Detroit catching up to Tesla in the electronics is night and day. And yeah, yeah, so yeah. Rant, but you know, just to give some more color. No, no, and, and, I, and I think that that's really important because a lot of people could drill into the, the 
inefficiencies or deficiencies that Tesla has on the manufacturing and, and, and build quality side. But, you know, let's, and, and, and he did talk about this. He did talk about when I asked him that question of, of why no one has beat them with, with their 2012 Model S. I mean, we, we dive into some of, the, some of the core technologies that make Tesla the largest electric vehicle maker in, uh, on the globe. And, and so when you look at the big picture, you step back and you stop focusing on, on, on the manufacturing process and the, and the build quality. And, you, and when you look at the total product, the total product is a product that people are fanatical about. I mean, almost to the point of cultish. Um, in terms of Tesla, and I, I definitely would not consider myself uh, a, a part of that. And you know, I'm I'm a supporter. I want to see them win, but um, there's definitely some people on the internet that are are very cult-like in terms of you know Tesla is is the only better best option, and everyone else is is you know crap. Um, I, I I think you know when you look at when you look at the the battery pack. They they design and engineer that themselves. They design and engineer their motors. Um, they design and engineer their chips and their circuit boards. And the technology piece of the car is something that traditional automotive does not have a handle on. It's like it's like buying a computer from the year two thousand when you buy an electric vehicle uh, from a traditional automaker, whereas if you buy a Tesla, it's like the the top of the top. You know, it's 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 an, a Google Android phone or or an iPhone. It is the best of the best. So, total product, it's the best on the market, and and they, as of right now, cannot be beaten. I suspect that, and I'll be at the the Porsche Taycan event next week in Canada. I think the range, the horsepower, are going to fall short when you compare that to a performance model s definitely and at the price probably as well the the take the take in but i can't probably. wait it's gonna be exciting to see uh you know what porsche has up their sleeve there i think that they've done a great job with the design of the car in terms of the exterior design um i would i would suspect you know as i've thought about this the range will probably be less than 250 miles for you know uh, an 80 plus thousand dollar vehicle and again it's you know it's the same objection that people have to the Audi e-tron too but as as people will see in this in this Audi e-tron video that I'll publish probably later today um you know range and horsepower are not the only things that should be considered and I use this analogy of you know Michael Jordan and LeBron James you know the conversation will always be who's better who's 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 better at basketball was it michael jordan or is it lebron james and it's the wrong it's the wrong question to ask they're both really great in their own different ways they have their own different styles and their own techniques and and so i think it's really important for those that are just like like ultra pro tesla to not down other electric vehicles just because it doesn't have the same range because there are definitely other advantages and strengths that these other automakers have that they can bring to the table that I think other people will really, really like who are looking at an electric car and maybe who don't want a Tesla. Yeah. And even, even if they do get the specs where Teslas are, there's something going on under the hood that makes this not a fair fight. That is why I'm almost certainly convinced all of those cars, e-tron, iPace, and Taycan will utterly flop, which is they are not, they do not make financial sense for these companies. 
these companies are converting their highest margin customers that where they're making tens of 20, 30 grand per car per sale to now a sale where they actually lose 10 to 20, 30 grand per car. So when Porsche is touting, oh, our, our sustained speed is gonna be better than the Tesla's, our charge rate's gonna be better than the Tesla. Well, what did Sandy Monroe say about all these other competition? They're buying everything off the shelf from third parties. They're not building their own batteries, they're buying third party batteries. How do you get it to charge as fast as Tesla, the 350 kilowatts or even faster? You have to put an even bigger pack in to make even more of a buffer. You're already losing money on that pack. Now you're adding weight to the car, which is hurting range. There's, so there's all these under the hood financial trade-offs that these, these car companies are making. And it just, the incentives don't work. Even if it starts to take off the take hand, what are they going to say? Like, let's expand production of this car we lose money on and then take away all our profitable vehicle sales. Like this is a catch 22 that is going to hit the boardroom of every single one of these car companies that, you know, so in some ways I'm like, oh, you know, you got the e-tron, that's great. But I'm like, this is cute, but this is going to be a toy and a joke because even if people want to buy it, Audi's not going to want to build it in mass. And that's why none of these companies are making investments like the Gigafactory to build, put in the billions of dollars necessary in batteries. If you actually do want to sell hundreds of thousands of electric vehicles a year, you better have a battery factory and a battery supply. And they don't, they're not caring about that because they don't want to sell hundred thousand per year. So with the except with the exception, uh, exception of VW group, oh, they are right. making, but yes. Yeah. And actually that, that could be a, a good thing to bring up because the reason why they are the only exception is because of Dieselgate and they have so much pressure to do that. But even so, they're putting billions in batteries, but the tech's not as good. The ID3, their car is going to come out with 12 to 14% cobalt content in the battery. The Model 3 is 2.8% and dropping. So you have an order of almost, you know, five times more and rising amount of cobalt in these batteries. So I think once I start to unpack the, you know, the financial, the technology things like, uh, yeah, I don't know if you have any comments yeah, on that. Yeah, yeah, I think, you know, so... I am overly enthusiastic about what Tesla is doing. They are driving this innovation and change towards uh, sustainable transportation. The one thing that I'm really concerned about that, that I've mentioned a few times now, and I've mentioned on the, the, the Monroe interview, but I'm concerned that, that Tesla will be so far ahead that they will eliminate competition completely, which has the opposite intended effect that Tesla wants, which is, I mean, they're going to need other automakers help. So, it's important to keep in mind that Tesla has been working on this technology for over a decade. So they've got a decade uh, head start on their technology. Whereas some of these automotive companies, they're just now beginning the R&D for this stuff. So I think it's yeah. important to keep in mind that yes, Tesla is the best on the market. Yes, they 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 have not been beaten in terms of, of range, but they've also had more time. I mean, they, from the very beginning, they were an electric vehicle company. So if you look at, you know, maybe they, I think they started in like 2006, you know, we're now going on close to 15 years that, that they have been working on this. And so they are now, you know, probably two, three, you know, maybe with Maxwell, they're probably on their third generation of, of batteries. So whereas VW Group, which owns Porsche, Audi, VW, they're, they're, they're in the very beginning stages. They bought third party with LG Chem. I would be shocked if they're not working on something on their own to be able to be competitive, but they're going to be far behind and they're going to need lots of billions of dollars to, to, to become competitive. But I don't think that's going to be anytime in the near future. Yeah. And to be clear, they're getting good at something they've never been good at. They, that's what they need to do. I think that's a big misconception. Like, oh, the automakers can have no trouble copying Tesla, where the true skill is a very different skill than what they've actually been good at. And, you know, Tesla pioneered this lithium ion cell 
approach that didn't exist. It was the lead acid batteries that were electric vehicles. They pioneered the lithium ion cell and like have, have basically created an entire industry where now electric vehicles are running off these that nobody thought was possible. And so I think, you know, taking a step back, Tesla's really pioneered this new type of battery technology. And that's sort of been the secret sauce. And then Wright's Law, which I think is a huge component of all of this, which is basically that every time you double production, it leads to a certain amount of decrease in the, in the actual cost. And so Tesla getting ahead of everything with these batteries and really pushing economies of scale, I think has really been the huge driver of getting these battery costs down to being a reasonable, you know, percentage of the overall vehicle. Yeah, I, I think... I support that idea and notion. I, I, I do just want to underscore the point that um, in order for Tesla to win with their mission, they're going to need other automakers' help. This is traditional, and this is, this is any new companies that, that come, like Bollinger and like Rivian. Uh, they're going to need everyone's help to be able to, to transition, and, and this doesn't happen overnight. And I'm not, you know, I'm not a smart enough guy to know uh, about climate change and how many years we have left before you know we we can't turn back, but um, it can't happen fast enough. These yeah. these companies cannot make electric vehicles fast enough to be able to transition away from you know these toxic emitting vehicles that are on the road right now. Totally, and I yeah, I kind of want to give a hot take conspiracy theory, which is that like. Elon Musk wants that more than anybody else, right? And so who is really going to have the ability to pump out and build up the capacity to build out 20 million EVs a year in the next five years? One word, China. What is China doing with Tesla right now? Letting them build an entire factory there for free in an unprecedented fashion as fast as possible. Is there an under the table deal? I mean, I don't know. China has a reputation for copying technology and replicating it and spitting it out on their own. They're bringing this cutting edge EV technology into China, uh, you know, I don't know. So I think there's, you know, sure. I, yeah, we do need other people to win besides Tesla, but is it going to be Ford? Is it going to be GM? Is it going to be BMW? Is it going to be Volkswagen? I think it's going to be none of those. It's going to be Rivian, Bollinger, and every single thing coming out of China. China is going to start exporting vehicles, which is, isn't happening and isn't on anyone's radar, but I think they're putting all, billions and billions of dollars of R&D into where China is like they build all of our iPhones. They're going to be building all of our cars, I think. Or yeah, a lot of the world's EVs. So that's kind of how I see where the real growth besides Tesla comes to play out. Yeah, I, I you know, I do have a little bit of concern about about Tesla's technology in, in China. That's definitely something that has crossed my mind. I would be shocked if Tesla's not going into China eyes wide open with that, because that's that's what Chinese the Chinese technology companies do. They rip off other people's great ideas. They're they're yeah. not a in general, and, and, and this is a very broad stroke, they have a habit of, of not being creative and, and copying other, other people's innovative ideas. So, I mean, we just don't know. And, you know. There's, and one more layer to throw into this is the Maxwell deal. China's direct investment arm of the government was trying to buy Maxwell technology after they had this huge contract with the Chinese railway companies to build in ultra capacitors in for regenerative braking for these electric trains. And so then they were like, wow, these, this is amazing, amazing technology. They try to buy it. The US government blocks the deal. Six months later, we have Tesla by them. So there's lots of fascinating layers to this whole Maxwell thing. Uh, Mark, the battery guy, mentions what he's excited about. And he's like, Maxwell, not the dry battery electrode, but he's like, they have this spiffy new ultra capacitor. I'm, I'm curious to see if uh, Tesla recently acquired Maxwell Technologies, okay. mm. and they have a 
spiffy new battery yep. capacitor coming out, yep. and I'll be interested to see if that's included in this. I, I, I have some doubts about the cost of that for the Model Y. I, I, I sort of expect for them to introduce it first to Model S and X first, mm. and then eventually roll it, roll it down. I'm, I'm guessing, mm. but I, I think it has monumental impact on range. Yeah, yeah. well, there's a whole bunch of things. Range, speed of charge, there's, there's a lot of things that can, and weight. Safety. Uh, yeah, safety. There's, there's many, many things you have to look at with this new stuff. So I want to see if Tesla puts that in the Y, which was kind of, you, I guess, caught you off guard and caught me off guard. So I was like, uh, I don't think this is going to happen, but brings up this whole idea, which is the, the hybrid. You know, just like I said, Maxwell's supercapacitor regenerative braking for the trains, ultracapacitors have been long rumored as a theory of a hybrid lithium ion cell and an ultracapacitor together can have huge synergies for like a next generation electric vehicle. Just before we were talking about this, I Googled this grant that in 2014, Maxwell gets a $2.7 million grant from the Department of Energy to actually build a hybrid lithium-ion ultracapacitor vehicle. So this is actually a program Maxwell was working on. Apparently, they have a new SPIFI ultracapacitor coming. We know Elon Musk did his P or wanted to do his PhDs on ultracapacitors as a next-generation uh, energy storage system for electric vehicles. Now, 20 years later, he's buying the preeminent world ultracapacitor company, which I think is hilarious. Karma for full circle. But um, anyway, that's sort of a long buildup to me of like, what do you think about this theory of the ultracap lithium ion hybrid? Because uh, I'm still totally on the fence about it. Yeah, I, I think in theory, it seems like it's a really good idea. I don't know enough from a technological standpoint of how it works. But in theory, um, it seems like there there would be some benefits to you know because 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 with the ultra ultra capacitors it's it's um it's 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 electrostatic so so it's a lot like lightning right it's it's instant it happens immediately but the the energy density is not as great with um uh, with with ultra capacitors so um, if the two can sort of be married or work together at least initially um, it seems like they would be the perfect fit for. Uh, lithium-ion battery and ultra caps. Uh, beyond that, uh, be, beyond the theory of it, it's 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 really hard to unpack that. I, I think it would be extremely interesting to talk with someone who's got a better understanding about how you know how those two could work together. So potential potential video idea, uh, you know, uh, for my channel, I think would be a really good idea to talk with someone who's who understands that. Um, I do think they would probably start off with with their higher priced vehicles and include this technology in it. This is a big problem, just as sort of a, an aside, this is a big problem with Tesla right now with their 3X and S. The S and the X feel quite outdated. The 3 has all the new tech. It's got the, the 250 kilowatt charge rate. It's got the new HVAC system. You know, it's it's got a lot of this this new technology the S and the X don't have that. And so I sort of wonder if if they're just sort of chomping at the bit, Tesla is, to incorporate some of this, you know, some of the, the, the DBE tech, some of the ultra caps into Model S and X and, and truck and, and Roadster um, to be able to make that distinction a little bit more clear because right now it's just a price difference. I think that you're getting less of a vehicle in many ways aside from range when you buy S and X. Yeah, and it's... I'm so with you. I'm equally torn. It's like, are they sunsetting those vehicles or are they just being very coy about slowly upgrading them? Well, you know, it's 
the sales for SNX have been down consistently for many, many months, many quarters. Well, it's basically um, Model 3. Model 3 took off. SNX go from, you know, 50,000 each year to, you know, 20 to 30% lower than that. Seems Absolutely. Crazy. I mean, and, and so I am of the opinion that there are definitely people who, who there's definitely a market for SNX, right? You know, I, I look at it as, as someone who's, who's got a family. Uh, I look at the three and I'm like, it's not really that big, big. I, I would prefer something bigger, more storage, more legroom. Um, and so SNX, there still is a premium market for that. There's a reason why these other automakers sell premium vehicles still, even though it's not super high volume. Uh, there definitely is a market for it. I just think that Tesla needs to, I, I think that the sales of the SNX are indicative of people wanting something more and something new in the SNX. And I really do hope that, you know, the range piece is interesting. I know Elon Musk said recently that they've got a 400 plus mile range. Uh, battery pack coming out, and we'll probably hear more about that at the uh, the, the event next year for the the battery and, and drivetrain thing. But I don't think it could, could come soon enough. I really would love to see them refresh the S and X sooner rather than later. Yeah, I mean, part of me is thinking like more and more. I don't want to think this, but it's just like they fo their own entire focus is on the three and the Y and autonomy. And that's just going to make so much more money for them and be such a bigger driver of the climate issue that that's just a way better use of resources for the company. And that is what it is. But, you know. In terms of volume, though, I think that, yeah, in terms of volume, I think you're right with the Model 3 and the Model Y. But the, the nice thing with S and X that you can do is you can test out the expensive tech right? The, the, the sort of innovative, expensive tech that, that needs to eventually be driven down price-wise, you can afford to do that with the more expensive cars because ideally you're, you're making more money on those. Mm -hmm. And they were the profit driver for Tesla. So I think unless they can really nail the Model 3 thing, that's really what comes down to me. It's like if they can get the Model 3 manufacturing a little bit better and a little more profitable and they get Model Y off the ground, then we won't need any of that like it'll dwarf the profits from that will dwarf what's happening with the SNX. But it's so, so interesting. And uh, yeah, I don't know, back to the ultra capacitor thing. Cause mm -hmm. I just wanted to, to highlight on that because my understanding of it is when I was reading through the reports is that like the semi and the roadster would really be the potential use case for this technology at first, because like you said, higher price, much higher price, much higher room for that tech. I think of the lithium ion battery as like a marathon runner and the ultra cap is a sprinter. So like when you have a huge truck that slams on the brakes, you need to regenerate an absurd amount of power quickly, ultra cap. You want to supercharge really, really quickly and take in a lot of energy, start with the ultra cap, you know, and it'll preserve the life of the battery. You want to accelerate super quickly, like in the road roadster, you know, use the ultra cap for that. It'll be better for the battery. So it seems like that's kind of this, it, it takes the best of both worlds. And actually Tesla has patented uh, a long, long time ago a lithium ion and hybrid metal air battery pack, which was sort of a different style hybrid battery pack. But so that is something Tesla's actually toyed around with, this notion of a, a hybrid battery pack system. I like the idea of the, uh, of the sort of quick, quick, uh, um, quick take in and, and quick emitting of energy. And I think that that's where the super caps were, or the ultra caps will, will play very, very well, you know, especially with the Roadster. Um, you, you've got the ability to accelerate very quickly. Um, you know, with the semi-truck, that's really interesting too, because you, you've got a heavy load that you have to have to worry about. And if you're, you know, decelerating, uh, I think theoretically you should be able to capture a lot more energy as you're decelerating with that large load. Mm -hmm. And 
I guess what this sort of comes down to is pace of innovation. That's my biggest takeaway of Monroe and, and him thinking about the company is everyone else is moving at a snail's pace. Tesla is like a cheetah with their pace of innovation. And so, for example, like the wiring thing that Sandy Monroe says he's most excited about breaking down for the Model Y, how this whole rumor about going from, you know, three kilometers of wiring in the S to 1.5 in the three to 100 meters in the Y. I put out a video inspired by your video about this, you know, a bunch of different patents that Tesla has that are kind of leading up to this and the way Monroe puts it is like, this is the military fighter jet tech that we've seen. Like we kind of know what they're going to do, but just automakers don't, aren't able to do it. And then this new type of wiring tech, it's lighter, it's a better technology, but really the innovation is in the manufacturing where these, it's much easier to be installed by robots than humans. Um, so that could potentially have a lot of, you know, in the re reduced CapEx for Tesla, you know, better quality. There's all these sort of things. So, you know, maybe that's just, about, I don't know how much you know about that in particular, but I've just been, the more I dive deeper, the more I'm like, wow, Tesla, because they're vertically integrated, is pushing so much innovation, innovation constantly in this manufacturing process. I think, like Elon Musk says, if you focus on the pace of innovation, it's very cl clear who will be the best in the long run. So when I look at Tesla's autopilot, their battery manufacturing, their vehicle manufacturing, it's all the pace of innovations, probably an order of magnitude above every, everyone else's. And that's what really gives me comfort as a long-term shareholder. Yeah, they. I mean, I, I do think that they will ultimately win because they are moving fast and breaking things. I, I, you know, you you look at how stagnated traditional automotive is, and and how how slow it, how long it takes for them to be able to 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 get a a product to market. Versus Tesla is is iterating on their product on a continual basis. I mean, almost on a monthly basis, they're pushing out a software update to their entire vehicle fleet. And that's just one aspect that allows them to be extremely nimble, the software updates. I mean, you look at also the, you know, the, the, the model years. That's another thing that people have talked about uh, where Tesla is just, they're, they're, when, they, when they find a new part that's going to make the car better, they don't wait for another four years before they push out the new model year. They do it immediately. And, you know, that does create some challenges on the service side that, I, that I've seen and experienced, but... Um, I, I do think that, that that ultimately when we look back at this moment in 20 years, we'll see how that how, how that fast innovation, that pace of innovation has benefited Tesla. And really, they in order for them to make it and survive, they have to be innovating and changing as quickly as they are. I realize they get a lot of criticism for this, uh, you know, uh, uh, beta t using using uh, Tesla owners as beta testers is one of those things that I've seen a lot of criticism about. But again, ultimately, I think that, that when we look back in, in 10 or 20 years at that approach versus what you know, Waymo and some of the others are doing by, by you know, testing everything internally, um, Tesla is, is, is exporting their testing to their owners. And I think that that exponential, um, that exponential growth is going to prove to allow them to be so far ahead on the autonomy piece and on the, on the software piece and making vehicles better through over the year software updates. Mm -hmm. And that software feedback loop is super, super important. And that was one of my biggest surprises when we were at Monroe is that they can't analyze the software. Like they, you know what I mean? It's software. They can't read it. They can't reverse engineer it. So they're saying all of this good stuff about Tesla. And we haven't even gotten to the layer where I think they're way better than everyone else, which is the software layer. When we were in Detroit, we were having dinner with someone in the industry and they were saying, what Tesla's really done that's amazing is like you see them pushing dog mode updates out of nowhere three weeks after somebody requested it. It's like they've decoupled the hardware, you know, like incremental 
improvement process from the software, you know, uh, product line process. And that's a huge decoupling, which is totally unlike what Detroit's doing. And just that pace of innovation of pushing over the air software updates, constantly iterating, like this is really, you know, Tesla is building a software OS ecosystem that is unlike what anyone else has. And this is a whole layer on top of their better hardware. Yeah, I want to I want to touch on that, too, because I think this is a noteworthy topic. You know, um, I've spent a lot of time this year um, on on the policy side, helping helping legislation um, that's that's EV and environmentally friendly here in Colorado. And one of the things that is really apparent to me about dealerships is it, the, 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 the automotive manufacturers and the dealership relationship is really fascinating to me. You know, so so the the automakers, they they want to sell cars, but they have this this they're tied at the hip to dealerships and their expectations, their wants, their needs. And and the challenge that I see here is, and this is this is already happening with the current electric vehicles from traditional automakers, is because they have that constituent of the dealership or dealerships, the franchise. Um, the auto automakers are not going to be able to be able to push out software updates as broad as what Tesla is doing, because the dealership wants the electric vehicle owner to come into the dealership to get the software update. I confirmed this with, I, I think it was, um, I think it was the iPACE. They had a recall. Yeah. They were going to push out a software update and I confirmed this with their PR team because I was like, that just sounds really, really odd to me that you're requiring people to go in. But indeed they are requiring iPACE owners to go into the dealership to get the software update, which is bananas to me. I mean, it's like, it's like having a software update on your iPACE phone and having to go into the Apple store just to get the new software update. It's just, to me in 2019, that is just absolutely ludicrous. I know. And Sean, remember I was saying they don't want to sell a lot of these cars. Like, you know what I mean? I sound like an idiot saying they don't even want to sell their own product, but it's like, look at how many hoops they make you go through on something so routine. They have they, zero shits given about the customer. They care zero about the customer experience. That is the last priority of these automakers and the entire dealer network, you know, they're making all their money on service and maintenance. You know, it's illegal for these auto us auto companies to set up their own store network because the dealers are so strong. I mean, the dealer networks are lobbying. You've deal dealt with this. Maybe you could talk about the laws, but like it's literally illegal for Tesla to sell, to build a store in like still certain States. I mean, show me a company where you have to have a union go to court to stop them from opening a store because they're so disruptive. Like I want to be buying that stock in that company because they are, you know what I mean? Your only defense against them is to make it illegal for them to even operate because they're crushing you so bad. Like, yeah, there, there's a, there's a lot of really interesting. I, I the, the word that comes to mind is, is, is deceit that's going on with the, with the dealerships and the, so, so, so far, let me just preface this because I can, I can, I, I have benefited from being able to work with dealerships and do these reviews. So I want, I want to just provide some context where I think that the problem is, is with the dealer associations. Mm -hmm. They're, they're, they're doing a lot of really interesting things behind the scenes to make sure that companies like Tesla, like Rivian and soon to be, you know, Bollinger and some of these others, cannot have a dealership license in this in in the state and so that that is definitely the case the only reason why tesla is here in colorado selling is because they found a back door to get in uh through through a law but the dealer association lobbied to close that back door so now any new 
uh, automakers that want to sell vehicles direct to consumer in Colorado cannot do that unless the law is changed. And so there was a there was a um, uh, there was a law that that was uh, up for vote this last session that would allow Rivian to be able to sell direct to consumer. But the auto dealer association lobbied really hard, particularly on the Republican side, to to prevent Rivian from being able to come in and sell vehicles and create jobs. In in and this is really the irony of it because you know the 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 dealer association is is saying that, that electric vehicles or, or the zero emissions mandate, which is a whole separate thing, um, is going to kill jobs and make cars more expensive, but yet on, on, they're talking out of the other side of their mouth saying, we don't want competition direct from manufacturers like Rivian because we don't think that, that that's the right model for, for consumers to buy. But in reality, Consumers should have whatever, however method they want to buy a car, and um, and so there's there's a lot of really interesting and concerning things in my opinion that auto dealer associations, not just in Colorado but but um, across the United States, are doing to squash competition, particularly direct to consumer sales and innovation. They're squashing competition, innovation, progress. You know. Lobbying is institutionalized bribery. That is the way I look at it. This is just straight up corruption at its finest is what we're witnessing. So it's kind of sad, but it's also like, you know, I, I take the flip side, like I said, where it's like, if you have to do that to stop Tesla, cause they're that good, like that just validates that, you know, they do have that much of a better product and you are that scared. Well, here's, um, the, here's the good news about that. You can still buy a Tesla in a state that that Tesla cannot have a, a dealership license in. So, and that I think is one of the big reasons why Tesla earlier this year was trying to push really hard to uh, for, for their online sales the online model, and they wanted to close. Yeah, because that is one way that they can get around this uh, a lot of this opposition from from uh, uh, auto dealer associations is if they make it as simple as possible, they do the you know thousand mile, seven day return, they, they make it as easy as possible for people to buy a vehicle online, test it out, kick the tires, and then return it with no hassle if they want. Um, that is a really simple way, you know, so it's almost like, it's almost like the dealer associations are shooting themselves in the foot by trying to co- uh, squash competition. Where, where, you know, the nature finds the path of least resistance. So, you know, if the dealer association puts up a roadblock, the consumer will ultimately win because they will decide what they want and, and how they want it. And so it'll eventually, you know, the, the consumer demand and what the consumer wants will go around those roadblocks, buy, buy a vehicle online, and it could very well become a very normal thing for consumers to buy a car test it out for seven days. And if they don't like it, just give it back. Yeah. Agreed. So Sean, maybe giving you to, to wrap it up, like a chance to reflect on the Sandy Monroe interview. And if you had any sort of high level takeaways or um, just anything in general like that, I feel like mine kind of to give you some time to think is that my prediction is that in a year when we watch Sandy Monroe's takedown of the Model Y or something with the Maxwell battery, dry battery electrode, they're going to be like, oh my God, like they're going to be even more blown away. Like we thought Tesla was ahead now, like, holy shit. Like, you know what I mean? I, I can't wait for that because I know that the car they broke down is technology that sucks. Like for what Tesla's working on, like that's like, that's yesterday, that's garbage and they're already floored. So I'm like, 
I'm pumped about that. But um, I don't know. I'm just really curious if, you know, after thinking it through, after going to Detroit again, what your, what your takeaways were from that. Yeah, I'm even more convinced that Tesla is is so far ahead and so good at their primary core competency, which is battery pack cells and 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 electric motor. So battery pack and, and electric motor. It is and, and and I guess to throw into that, even though it's still probably at its at its early stages of development, it is it is this uh, this full autonomy full autonomy chip. Um, you know, a lot of this stuff just has not been recognized or realized by traditional automotive. And um, I, I think it's very, very likely that some of these companies will not be in business in 20 years. Um, they, some of them will not make it because they have not, they have not jumped on board with, with the transition. This, this, this is the Kodak digital camera moment of automotive, right? It, it, you know, Kodak was no, no, no digital cameras. No, not the right, not the right path. And then all of a sudden, you know, out from, out from, uh, you know, uh, you know, purview, uh, you have digital, digital cameras as well as smartphones that really just killed the traditional film business. So, um, you know, I left that interview thinking that Tesla is so far ahead of its competition. It is really, really impressive. It, it, I mean, at the moment, they're probably three to five years ahead of their competition. With the Maxwell implementation, they may be five to eight years. And, and that's, that's a little bit of wow. why you hear some concern from my end about Tesla getting so far ahead that they just, they kill everyone. Um, and I don't, I don't necessarily want that. I want there to be lots of options. I think there should be lots of options. Not everyone is going to buy a Tesla or wants to buy a Tesla. So I think, um, I, I think that Tesla has <clears throat> the best technology on the market by a long shot. I mean, we're talking three to five years before some of these other automakers catch up with the 370 mile Model S range, the 325 mile Model X and 310 mile Model 3. Yeah. And it's, you know, you, you brought up something that it's like, this isn't a once in a decade change. This is a once in a century. Like we went from the steam engine to the internal combustion engine to the electric motor. Like this is a fundamental, this isn't even cars. This is like the main propulsion engine of how all of society works. Boats, planes, trucks, you know, everything is running on this, is going to have to switch this next generation propulsion technology. And then I think what's even crazier is we've always had these propulsion technologies, but we've always had humans operating them. Not only is the underlying propulsion technology changing, but the operator is going from a human to a piece of software. It's, it's hard to fathom how different of a world that we're just scratching the surface of that Tesla is showing everyone. So, um, yeah, it's I don't know. It's really exciting. I totally agree. And, 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 and it makes complete sense why you see a lot of the the nonsense uh, articles and press and smear campaigns to try and squash Tesla. It you know I, I can't prove that that it's being done by you know some some bad actors behind the scenes, but it is it is unusually um, nonsensical. Some of the stuff that's being published right now uh, that that catches press and that people are running and you know uh, you know the, the the short and distort strategy. It, it it is unusual because when you look at back to the original point at the beginning of the conversation, when you look at the total product, the, the product as a whole as as an electric vehicle, you look at something that is just light years ahead of anything else that's on the market, and probably more importantly. Owners are fanatical. They love the vehicles. They they get excited about things like receiving a push alert on their phone that there's a new software update and, and a new feature that's being pushed out 
to their vehicle. Version version 10 of, of, of Tesla's vehicles is coming. It's imminent. And I think that that you know, is one just small microcosm of, of why people love these vehicles. They're crazy fun to drive. The acceleration is phenomenal. And the car improves over time. Pretty soon, we'll be watching our videos, this, this interview inside our Teslas, and we'll be, we'll, we'll be Netflix and chilling, you know, just getting, getting crazy with tinted windows. And it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> Dude, yeah, no, it, it's, it's crazy. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on, Sean. And I really, you know, I commend you for like you're saying, like there's so much, it's so hard to get the truth on Tesla. And so that's why I wanted to have you on the hyper chat, give more exposure to your channel, because I think you're putting out some of the best EV content in the world. Like that's not an understatement. Like this is the, the Sandy Monroe thing is so cutting edge. I mean, you don't do any marketing. You have 4,000 followers on Twitter. You tweet it. That video has got 70,000 views out of nowhere because people know that this is like such fascinating, like cutting edge stuff. And I think you know, if you keep putting out this sort of exclusive real content, like it's going to win. And so really pumped to just follow your channel and see where it goes. Because I personally, as a student of the EV game, you know, a Tesla investor, like I, you know, you're really helping me understand the industry better. So, so thank you for that. Yeah. I appreciate you having me on. It's always good to talk like this. And I know people who are watching and listening to this, uh, will find it very informative. And, and that's the most important thing is creating content that people are interested in and, and learn something about. Definitely. All right, Sean. Thank you so much, man. Peace out. Well, let's talk, talk to you soon. soon. Yep. Bye-bye.